if you are newer to grace and you're like, how do I meet people and what's the, just a place to start, be go to our homepage of our website, gracemay.org, or our bulletin is there at the homepage and just click I'm new and I'd like to send you a note and you can sign up for any kind of newsletters that are relevant for where you are. As we dig into God's word, I wanna start with two stories. First story is about a farmer who's coming to the end of his harvest and he's had a huge harvest and there's so much work to be done that he's getting ready. He's like, if we don't beat the weather, we're gonna lose a lot of this harvest. So one particular morning, he hires a bunch of laborers and says, if you'll work for me for the day, I'll give you $200 each. So they start at 6 a.m., and, and they're gonna work for the day for the $200. Well, as the day goes by, some more laborers come in. He's like, hey, I'll, yeah, absolutely, bring you in, 9 a.m., some more come in at noon. He's like, there's more work to be done. He's bringing more people in. Some come at 5 p.m., and they start working. Well, it's six, an hour later, the owner, uh, the, the farmer says, uh, hey, everybody, thanks so much. We're gonna call it a day today. Why don't you go over and see the foreman, and he's gonna give you your, your money. So they all go over to the foreman, and the guys who started at 5 p.m. and worked for an hour, they open up their envelopes, and they're shocked. They're like, we had 200 bucks for one hour. It's amazing. So the people who started at 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. were like, they're going like, this is gonna be like amazing, right? So they open up their envelopes, and how much is inside? $200. And they're like, wait, wait a second here, this... This isn't right. This is not fair. How would you respond to that if you're in that scenario? Some of you are going, hey, is that farmer still hiring people? Because I could probably get off at five and do that hour for 200 bucks. I'm in, right? But let's say you're one of the 6 a.m. people. And you go, this, this isn't right. I don't, I don't like this. Some of you know who told that story. Greatest storyteller ever. His name is Jesus. He tells it according to Matthew's gospel, chapter 20. And when he comes to the end of the story, he makes a statement that, that delivers like the punch of what the story is all about. And here's what he says. He says, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? In other words, I told you I was gonna pay 200 bucks for the day and I decided to give $200 to those who work for an hour is, are you jealous that I'm kind? What he's saying in that parable is that you and I have a very generous Father in heaven. Let me tell you another story. To, another angle on this, this is a modern day story. Young man, good looking, athletic, he's got the world by the tail, and he lives for himself, me, myself, and I. Those are the three people who matter most to him. He's playing football in high school, he ends up going to college and a scholarship, he's, he's, he does, he just, he goes through one relationship and sort of just discards, and people would say used uh, people, and, and he's just going through, and, and he graduates, he gets a job where he's making a lot of money, he marries his college sweetheart. They end up having two children, when the youngest is being born, he's actually out with his wife's best friend having an affair. Ends up leaving his wife and his two kids, 
marries this other woman and he just does that repeatedly, ends up being married five times. Doesn't pay any child support even though he makes a lot of money. Doesn't pay Uncle Sam. Ends up having to run away, run from the law a bit. And, uh, and, and his life is just never changes. It's the definition of narcissism and selfishness and he's living uh, all about himself. He gets a terminal disease in his 50s because of the way he's living and his body is a shell of what it had been. He had been a 220 pound gold gloves boxer kind of football build and now at the age of 56 he weighs 120 and he's skin and bones with his six foot plus frame. His neighbor has been bringing over food and soup and saying, hey, I just, I've noticed you don't look well and want you to know we care. One day they come over and they say, can we tell you about our relationship with Jesus? And this guy's ready, like he's never shown an ounce of interest and he's ready and he opens up his life to Jesus and he, he puts his faith in Christ and says, I, I need to ask forgiveness, make some things right. God, I, I devote the last weeks of my life to you. And then he dies and he goes to heaven. He's a 5 p.m. worker. Actually, he's not. He's a 5.58 p.m. worker. And he gets heaven. How do you feel about that? That someone can live their entire life for themselves and at the very end, well, you might say it depends if I'm the person coming at 5.58 or if I'm the person who started at 6 a.m. Because if I'm a 6 a.m.er, I don't really like that. Friends, how we answer that question reveals what we think about how a person can be acceptable to God. How they can be justified is the big theological word. How does justification happen? How, if we put it another way, are you made right with God? Just as if I'd never sinned. Someone said that's the definition of justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. How, how can I be made right with God in a way that I'm acceptable to him, part of his family, and on my way to heaven? It's the story of the book of Romans. It's really the story of the Bible. And the words of Jesus echo out, are you jealous because of my kindness? Do we have a problem that God is such a generous God? Whatever we think about it, Paul drives the point home in the passage we're gonna look at and he wants us to know the ticket to being made right with God. That if you and I want to be the beneficiaries, we're at the end of the day that he calls us in and he goes, hey, you know what? Welcome home to heaven. I, I, I have something for you and it's gonna be more than we could ever, it's not gonna be $200. It's gonna be life forever with him. Not to mention life that we have today with him and forgiveness and his Holy Spirit. How do we, how do we get that? How do we receive that gift? I'd like you to turn me to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. And, um, and we're going to 
see what Paul says on this most important topic. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the Bible app, I would love for you to download that. Uh, there are over 500 million people in the world now who have downloaded the Bible app. And uh, you can just go to the book of Romans. You'll see, uh, they might put on the screen here what that looks like. And, and then uh, you'll also have message notes that uh, you can follow along with the message today. Those are either at the table out there or you can look online as well. Now, just before we look at Romans chapter, the end of chapter three, just to get some context in the chapter four, during the time of Jesus and Paul in the early church, conventional thinking about a relationship with God went something like this. You get to heaven by doing your best. You achieve salvation the old-fashioned way. You earn it. You earn it by hard work. You do enough. You're good enough. And you hope that you can tip the scales in your favor and that God goes, you know what? I'm going to let you in. You are a pretty good person and you've done a lot of good stuff. And Paul goes, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. Here's what he says. Let's, let's read for context the end of chapter 3, reading from the New Living Translation. And, and here's what he says in verse 27. He says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? If you guys want to put a Romans chapter 3, there you go. By God. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on what? On faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Now I imagine there were some people in Paul's audience here that go, Paul, wait, wait, wait a second here. You can't say it's only by faith. Surely there are some people who've earned their way into God's family. I mean, think of Abraham. The guy was amazing. You know what Paul does? Paul's a master of logic. Paul, Paul says, you want to talk about Abraham? And he pulls out as his witnesses the two most significant people in their history, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and then David, the greatest leader that they had ever known. And he quotes or uses both of them as a reference in the opening verses here in chapter 4. And really what he wants to make is this point, God makes us right with him only by faith in Jesus. Paul starts with Abraham, and he acknowledges Abraham's special place in history. Romans chapter 4, let's see how he starts off here. He says this, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. In fact, not only the founder of the Jewish nation, he's really, through Ishmael, he's the father of the Arabs, through Jesus, he's the father, you could say, of Christians. Um, but Paul sets up the rest of the chapter in the end of verse 1, and he says, what did Abraham discover about being made right with God? Like, what did Abraham find? If you want to talk about Abraham, okay, we'll talk about Abraham. Paul is saying, you all think Abraham's a prime example of who has been good enough to earn their acceptance with God. He says, I'm going to show you instead that even with Abraham, it was only by faith that Abraham was saved. Look how Paul makes this case in verse 2. He says, if Abraham's good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, because they earn it, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Here's the big point Paul makes. You follow along your notes, it says this. Our best efforts cannot make us right with God. In other words, our good works 
will never be enough. If we want to be part of God's family, if we want to be forgiven, here's what he makes clear. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. Abram couldn't. You know who else could? He goes, I'll, I'll bring out not only Abram, let's talk about David. And David, here's this guy, a military genius, writer of the book of Psalms. I mean, he's a respected leader. And here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 6. He says, David also spoke about this, about faith, when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. He said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record, remember that word, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. You see what he's saying there? He's saying some things you work for and other things are gift. And he's saying your salvation, your forgiveness, that's a gift. That's a gift. You'll never be able to work for that. In fact, he uses a word here that's used 10 times in this chapter, and it's the Greek word legizomai. Can you say that out loud with me? Ready? Legizomai. You can tell people now, I speak a little bit of Greek. I mean, legizomai, you know, and, and you can tell them that. Legizomai is a financial term, which means to count as, to credit something. And so when you put your faith in Christ, he's saying that God legizomize you. He credits your faith as righteousness. You're made right with God because he puts that into your account. Let me give you an example. Suppose that you get your credit card bill in the mail because you're still like over 40. You're not like all those young people who do all their banking online and all the stuff comes in their email and everything or on an app. You, you get it on the mail you, and you know your credit card bill is going to be big because you've only been paying the minimal amount due for the last number of months and this month you had a whole bunch of medical bills and other things you put on that and you're like, I can't even open that. So you put it on the counter, you wait for three days and you're like, I'm in denial. Like that's, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm done. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to pay this. Finally, it's burning a hole in the counter. You take the envelope and you open it up and with one eye closed and one eye open, you look down and you're like, and your balance is zero. Like you owe Nothing. So you call them up. You call up MasterCard. You go, hey, I don't know. I, I just want, I, I know I owe like thousands and thousands of dollars and my balance is zero. I don't want to go to jail or anything. What happened? And they're like, well, let me look it up here and everything. And then they come back on the phone. They go, hey, you know what? There's this guy, Jonathan Schaefer. <laughs> and he's been paying off people's credit card bills and he dumped enough money in your account he credited to your account enough money that you owe nothing. And you're like, is, is that the same Jonathan Schaefer that? Yeah, he's been doing that for years. <laughs> I wish I could, right? I wish I could do that, but I can't. But there's someone who can, and he did. And a much bigger debt. It's not a financial debt. You go, that'd be pretty good as well. But he took your spiritual debt, a debt that has impact not only for this life, but for the life to come if you don't figure it out. When he's just told us, he goes, you are spiritually bankrupt. You're infected with sin. There's no way you can pay your penalty. And, and, and now he's saying, something has been credited to your account. I legitimized your, your credit card account. God has done something far greater he is credited to your account. He's 
all that you need, your, his righteousness to put in your account. You had zero, and he filled up your account so that it's paid in full. Paul says, you know how you receive that? You'll never work for that. You'll never do enough good stuff to earn that. It's simply you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. You see, friends, you and I are hopelessly bankrupt. And the only way to receive that gift is to believe it's happened. To put your faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe when you died in my place, you paid my debt. So here's what Paul says. Your good works, the good stuff you do, will never make you right with God. Nor can your religious practices or observances. He goes on here in verse nine. Look what he says. He says, now, is this blessing only for the Jews? Because I've been talking about Abraham and David, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? That's the rest of us. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God. There's the, again, legizomide by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham when? Before he was circumcised. Now, a little history here. Because there's some children going, hey, mom, what does circumcision mean? And she already said, go talk to Pastor Jonathan after the service, and he'll tell you all about it. So it's this surgery. It's a surgery that Jewish boys and other boys have had. And, and, uh, but in, in the Jewish nation, this was a sign of like that you believe. This is your passport to citizenship. If you were circumcised, you and all your family, like you were, it was like having a tattoo, like Schaefer tattoo on your, that you were like, this is, this is where I belong. And what the people did was they began to see circumcision as actually their ticket to being acceptable to God. And like, I think I'm okay with God because I've been circumcised. So Paul says, so can I ask the question, when was Abraham acceptable to God? Was it after he was circumcised because of the power of circumcision? Or was it before he was circumcised? And Abraham, Paul says, read the book of Genesis. He was accepted by God when? Before he was circumcised. Do you see what he's saying? Let me, let me give a modern example. You might go, I don't think we look at circumcision like that. Have you ever talked to someone, and um, maybe if you asked them this question, if you said, you know, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And someone goes, oh my goodness, yeah. Well, I was baptized when I was a baby. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course I'm gonna get to heaven. I mean, would... when I went to my grandfather's funeral, I remember the person officiating the service said, and and George Schaefer, he's praying. He's like, George Schaefer, we know is going to be accepted to you, God, because he was baptized when he was six weeks old. Like that was the basis for their hope that my grandfather was going to be in heaven. You might go, that's sort of mine as well. Can I just tell you as gently and lovingly as I can, Paul goes, that doesn't work. Your baptism does not get you into heaven. Some people go, what about my first communion? Like I would take in communion today, like that's that's... Friends, those are, those are symbols. This ring right here is really important to me because it's a symbol of the most important relationship I have 
with any human being on this planet, and that's my wife, Mary. If I were to lose this ring, would I cease to be married? I better put it back on right now just in case, no. <laughs> no. No, this ring is what? This ring is merely an external symbol of an internal commitment that I've made to my wife. It's just that I'm not married because I have a ring. I got married and after I said my vows, I said, I'm gonna wear a ring as a symbol of the love I have for my wife. I get baptized as a symbol that I love Jesus and I've, I've declared my allegiance to him. I take communion, and we'll do that later today, as a memorial of remembrance to say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. But religious observance, whether it's circumcision, baptism, or taking a pilgrimage, or going to be baptized in the Jordan River, or anything else, Paul says, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And he says, one more thing can I tell you that doesn't work? He says, you're never gonna obey your way into God's family. Verse 13, he says, clearly God's promised to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. You know, I'm gonna bless all the peoples of the world through you. Was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and his promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment to those who try to obey. Here's what he's saying. Suppose that you and I were to go and we look through the Bible and we were to come up with like a thousand of the Bible's commands. And then we started grading ourselves going, hey, let's see like which ones have you never broken? Let's say that I grade out at like 65%. And you look and you're like, you got 75%. And then my father-in-law, maybe he was at 13%. How good do you have to be? What score do you need to be acceptable to God? 100%. So God isn't great on a curve. What he's saying here is, if they were to just be able to obey their way in, you wouldn't need faith. You wouldn't need the gift of what God has done for you. And he's saying, but obeying your way in will never, ever work. You can try, but you can't ever be good enough. He just said in Romans chapter three, it says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Imagine this, imagine that, you know, trying to get to God is like trying to jump up and, and touch the moon. You know, someone jumps and they get like, six inches off the ground, and I'm like, I could beat that by a long shot, and I do a vertical, and I, I get four feet in my dreams. And then the next guy, he does six feet, and he goes, man, I'm way closer to the moon than you guys are, and you're like, dude, you're, you're not even close. The only way to, is, did you see what, is to do a William Shatner, did you see that guy this week? 90 years old. But can I ask a question? How much did William Shatner have to do with finding his way up into outer space? Like nothing. He sat in a chair. The only thing he did was to have faith to sit in that chair and to go, I think this thing's gonna take me to outer space and it's not gonna blow up. But it was zero of his effort. He's a 90-year-old guy, right? He couldn't do it on his own. 
And what Paul is saying here is going, folks, that's about the only way you have to make it into God's family. You'll never obey enough. It's like trying to jump up and touch the moon. The only way to do it is for some other power to pull you up and to thrust you and to make it happen and you to put your faith in him and say, I believe that he can do it. Chapter three, verse 20. Let me just land this one here. You can't obey enough. He says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So you might go, well, what's the ticket? Like, how do we, how can we be the beneficiary of God's generosity? How can I be acceptable to God? How can I be justified? Here's the whole point of this chapter. It's the bedrock of the Christian faith, and it's this. Our faith is the only way to get right with God. That's it. By God's grace, through faith. He says, that's it. You'll never be able to work enough, do enough good, obey your way. Look what Paul says in verse 16. He says, so the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. You could say it this way. God's righteousness is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. Would you say that out loud with me? Let's say it aloud. Ready? God's righteousness is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. But what exactly does that look like? You go, how, what's the gift? How do I, what does faith do? What kind of faith did Abraham model for us? For starts, faith begins with surrender, and you simply say, God, I can't. I can't be good enough. I can't earn my way. I'll never be able to make it on my own. And Paul uses an example of this from Abraham and Sarah's own efforts to have a baby. And here's what it says in verse 19. He ends the chapter this way. He says, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. I read that this week, and I told Mary, I said, Hey, babe, it's not too late for number six. You know, we can, uh, if Sarah and Abraham could do it, Abram knew he was too old. There was no way it was going to happen. Humanly speaking, he could not become a father. But he had a promise from God. Faith starts by admitting, God, I, I can't do it. I'm helpless on my own. If this happens, it's only because you've made it possible. And that's what faith also says. It doesn't stop with I can. It continues on, and in faith embraces Christ as our only hope and says he can Verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. It had to be God. You could say this, Abraham did a faith transfer. Abraham went from saying, we're going to do it on our own. We're going to have a baby here. He tries with Hagar. He does it, he does it the wrong, and he, and, and he says, we're, and, and he realizes, I can't do it. God, I cannot do this but you can. And really, friends, it's the same with us. He goes, he's the father of all who believe that you and I come to the place of saying, God, in terms of my being acceptable to you, my debt being paid, God, I can't. I can't. But you can, and you did. And friends, that makes Christ the Christian gospel different than any other 
religion the world has ever known. Every other religion is the whole tip the scale kind of thing. Go swim in this correct river. Do this pilgrimage. Make sure you've done enough of the, you know, the good. To, and, and finally, maybe God will look and say, oh, okay, maybe. Only in the Christian gospel, and this is the wonder of it. I want to go back to my father-in-law. When my father-in-law, in the last eight weeks or so of his life, came to place of saying, I have made a mess of my life. He devastated so many people in his life. He failed almost every single person. And then at the very end, if someone said, well, let me tell you what you need to do. You gotta start doing enough good stuff. Try to start obeying. Start earning your way. How much of a shot did he have to do that in his last eight weeks? Zero. He was a 5 p.m.er. It was a 5.58 p.m. He was never gonna be able to make it. You know what Paul says? Those 6 a.m. people, they're sometimes the harder ones to convince because they're like, oh, I, I've been amazing since I was a little kid. My grandmother was Presbyterian. And they think that somehow they're gonna earn their way. My father-in-law, he knew, hey, I'm toast. Sometimes the most religious people who are the hardest to convince, it's only by faith. You put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, and friends, when you do that, can I just tell you, there's like a new level of security and identity in your life that nothing else can provide. Because you come to the place of saying, man, I, I don't have to wonder if I'm accepted by God. I don't have to hope that I'm forgiven. I don't have to you know, try to do enough and wonder with anxiety if I'll ever get to heaven, I can know. I know because it's not my record, it's his. It's not my seeking to pay, it's him doing it and I just put my faith in him and I receive the gift. Tim Keller, when he writes about this and then we'll move to communion, Tim Keller said this. We can be, when, when you have been justified, acquitted, you put your faith in Jesus, then we can be real about ourselves, about our flaws and failings, and we can pick ourselves up when we do fail because we know the blessing of being sinners whose sins are not counted against us. Sinners who are righteous. Legizomai. That God has credited to your account the moment you place your faith in him, he credits to your account, and your account is paid in full justified, acquitted, forgiven, redeemed, daughters and sons of the Most High God, you receive an identity that can never be taken away, all because we have such a generous Father in heaven who loves you that much. And that's why Jesus died in our place. Let's thank him together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just wanna say again, we're so grateful we're grateful that you would take our place, you would pay that debt in a way that, Lord, we never could. And so, Lord, we're just saying today that we, we right now just say again, we put our faith in you. We trust you, Lord. What we've done will never be enough. We'll never, our performance will never meet the grade. But Jesus, yours did perfectly. And so we thank you for dying in our place when you did that, you did that for me. And so Jesus, today, I wanna say I'm relying on your record.
what you've done in love for me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen.